You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. If I were to say the word dyslexia, you'd probably know what I'm talking about. But what about dyscalculia? In simple terms, dyscalculia is like dyslexia, but for numbers. Tammy Brennan is a single mum whose daughter Pebble has dyscalculia. It wasn't until she realised that Pebble just wasn't learning at school that she saw how ill-equipped the education system was when it came to educating her neurodiverse daughter. She joins us today to talk about her experiences. Hi, Tammy. How are you? Hi. Yeah, good, thanks. Tammy, what is dyscalculia? So dyscalculia is um, an impairment around math, and it's your ability to problem solve. It's your um, it, it it has a range of the way the brain processes numbers and often our working memory. So our ability to store and work with information in that immediate moment. So our ability to recall, use that information, and then problem solve in the moment. People who suffer from dyscalculia have problems with that particular part of their brain and often will also be dyslexic as well. Different to dyslexia, dyscalculia is a lifelong disability, learning disability. So you can learn strategies like you do with dyslexia, but the types of improvements that you can make are minimal from what, from my understanding of it, because it's sort of also a learning disability that's not as known as dyslexia. It's not picked up earlier. Um, and so the, the information that's out there is obviously less in terms of the research that's been done. But from the, from the research that I've done with myself um, and just, you know, looking at videos on, online and listening to other people's experiences and experts that are talking about this, um, that it is the kind of thing that reading the time, counting change, um, travel planning, things like this. These would be day-to-day sort of activities that would affect someone with dyscalculia and disorientate them and make it difficult to go about their daily life. So, um, you know, then you start to look at, well, what what can you do to assist that person? So you have to start looking at assistive technologies and, and things like that. I mean, I think we're fortunate in the sense that it has been identified at an early age, so we can start to look at strategies and and work with Pebble with ways to map time and understand time. But these are things that potentially she may never actually really get a grasp on, and we just need to look at how she adapts um, the way she is in the world. Now, saying that, it sounds so huge, taking your daughter out of school because she didn't have the right support. Why is it that support just wasn't there in the school? So my daughter is nine, nine and a half, and um, she's... Her dyscalculia doesn't sit in isolation, so she also is dyslexic. Uh, her, her dad, even though we're separated, we've been sort of tracking um, with Pebble when she went into the public education system. And the, over time, things just be, started to become present, uh, the way she you know, was responding to the written word, but also math. So we just started to notice that she was starting to fall behind, I guess. And, and that happens with kids. And you know, some kids kind of fall behind at a certain stage, and then they, they make leaps and bounds. But we started to see kind of a pattern that was setting in and then an attitude toward her learning as well. So we started doing assessments for dyslexia around five and then we did another one around seven and we revisited that this year and when we revisited getting her actually formally assessed for dyslexia, dyscalculia was actually picked up as well. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Tammy Brennan about dyscalculia, which she found out her daughter had, as well as dyslexia. Was that recently, around nine, or you said yeah, she'd been so nine and, and a half. They don't really, as I said, we we started tracking to see whether Pebble was uh, dyslexic um, at, at about five. So we started to notice that 
her handwriting, the way she was reading, the way her short-term memory was working was slightly different to other children of her age. Some people might think that it was sort of not that noticeable, but for me personally as a mother, you just have sort of these intuitions and you start to understand that your child is sort of neurodiverse or is learning as a neurodiverse learner, is learning in a different way and their brain is functioning in a different way. It's certainly nothing related to intelligence. Um, It is literally just more than often children who are neurodiverse in this way require more time. And that's some of the obstacles and hurdles that we experience in the classroom is that, um, for example, Pebble in year four was in a classroom of 32 children with one teacher. So to be able to differentiate learning and provide even multimodal context for children who are neurodiverse learners is just the support systems are just not there. The funding is not there. Teachers, I would say, are not even trained to identify and pick up this type of neurodiverse learning. What I've also since found out is that New South Wales is the only state that doesn't have speech and language therapists and occupational therapists inside the actual public system. So these things get identified and picked up a lot later. It's also very expensive to get this testing done. You know, I think all up with all the testing that we've done with Pebble, it's probably been close to $3,000. So a lot of people might not be in that financial position or situation to be able to do that. Then on top doing the extra support systems like speech and language therapy or multimodal multimodal educational specialists to work with math, maths tutors, to bring in interventions that can actually reshape. The brain is malleable. We know that it can change. And we know that when we learn new things, the brain changes. It, it changes its, stru- its structure and its function. So we can remap and we can change the shape of the brain and the way the pathways work by learning new ways of doing things. But these systems are not in place in the school system. What did you find in terms of when you were picking these things up for Pebble and talking to teachers? Because I've definitely found with my daughter that idea of when you've got a good teacher, they work in partnership with you. Mm. And if you've got questions and you're concerned about something and you're talking to them or emailing them, they're emailing Mm. you back with ideas and solutions. Did you find that kind of support just generally, just saying, no. okay? We've had a very negative experience of school, which has led me to withdraw my child from the system. So I think if we'd had a situation where we'd had that kind of to and fro, um, we might be in a different position. I might not felt the need to have to withdraw Pebble. But the only stories where I hear that has happened of kids that have been in private schools. I haven't had much of that. Um, anyone that I have known that has had a child that has had some kind of delay or difficulty with their learning, they've all withdrawn their children and put them into private schools. And then those that kind of more paternal care has kicked in because there's accountability, you're paying all this money and the teachers are much more accountable and there's more duty of care. And there's also more resources, obviously. You've decided to homeschool Pebble. Yes. How, why did you come to that conclusion and not, as you say, the other people you'd spoken to mm. have moved them to private schools? Mm. Well, financial would be the first reason. I don't have the capacity. But you've had to um, finish Yeah, I had to, working, so I had right? to stop my job. It took me some time to come to this decision. It wasn't like a radical kind of knee-jerk reaction. It probably took me a couple of years to really make the decision. And as Pebble started to go up in years, you notice the workload increases, the complexity. You, you go from things like learning to read from reading to learn. 
And that's that's quite a considerable jump. Um, and that happens in year four. And if you can't read, then you're not going to be learning at the same rate that the other children around you are. And things become more noticeable about your capacity and ability to keep up. You start to dramatically fall behind. You're in that kind of cusp of being only a few years out from high school where you are required to be much more of an independent learner. Um, you need to have a certain attitude toward your work. You need to feel positive about what you're doing. This is certainly not about um, having high results. It's really about an attitude toward information and learning and how you feel about knowledge. And I could see Pebble's attitude declining and um, a certain negativity setting in around her approach to her schoolwork and that there was actually no real interest or care, she would just very quickly kind of dismiss things. By pulling her out and homeschooling, we've been able to do a lot of one-on-one, which means Pebble can take her time. We're skilling her in the capacity to take her time and also to be able to advocate for herself. So what we want is her to be in a position where when she doesn't understand something, she can actually just say, I don't understand, could you please repeat that? Or could you show me in a different way? If there's no time in that moment, be able to say, look, I'm happy to come back in the lunch hour. I'm happy to, you know, so she can start to problem solve for herself as well and understand the way she learns and feel confident and positive about that and not feel that it's something to be shameful about. Things with dyslexia and dyscalculia, I I watched a very interesting TED talk of, I can't recall his name at the moment, but um, he's an advocate for dyslexia. He's American. And he is dyslexic himself. And in this talk, he mentions how the type of shame that children feel that are neurodiverse learners and and coming through this kind of traditional education system is very similar to children who have experienced incest. So it's very malignant. It can be very detrimental and can often lead to self-harm and and lots of other sort of activities which are are not so great. So So how does Pebble feel about... Because I'm sure she had friends at school, right? How yeah. did she? I look at this and I look at what you've done and I think, holy cow, Tammy, how did you do? First, you've got to upskill yourself in yes. the primary school education system. Most of us just send our kids off and moan yeah. about doing homework with them. You've taken all of that on. Mm. And I imagine at the same time, you're trying to help her maintain the social relationship she has with mm. friends outside of school. How on earth did you start training yourself for this and and mapping out how you were going to go about it? Well, I mean, I think we're in a unique position uh, as opposed to those that might set up from homeschooling from the outset. So Pebble, we live in the centre of the city. We, you know, we, we, she has been in a school for the last sort of four years. So she has friends and she has networks. So we're quite fortunate. It's a small community. We all live kind of in a close proximity to each other. So Pebble has been able to maintain her friendship. So we still have play dates and, and things like this and sleepovers. For me, the socialization issue, because that was the first thing everyone's like, how is she going to be socialized? And it's interesting that that becomes the first thing that people focus on as opposed to the actual learning. And, um, you know, I, I, I had to really weigh these things up. But to me, Pebble will become less socialized as her self-esteem is eroded. So the the stakes become a lot higher in that context. So for me, that was just a low down on the scale as opposed to her ability to be able to access knowledge. There, there is no resources really out there for people who want to homeschool. You sort of have to do everything from scratch. You you get referred to um, the New South, Wales, New South Wales education system online, which is BOST, and you, you get 
you get access to what the curriculum actually is, but you don't get given a curriculum to deliver. You have to come up with this yourself. So there are a lot of resources online. There's the Australian National Curriculum, which has a lot of lesson plans and resources, but it's New South Wales is sort of slightly differentiated, so you have to sort of differentiate it again to fit their particular curriculum. But you're measuring it really against what the curriculum is. So, for example, you've got the key learning areas, so you, you know, you're looking at math and maybe it's perimeter or, or length and these things, so then you just kind of get online and you just do a bit of searching and then you sort of just you know there's a lot of books there's a lot of resources out how's, there how's your how's your uh, general maths going because well, i got to admit look it. i have to admit i've been loving it so yeah. you know i've been getting a kick out of it i've yeah. been revisiting things um going oh wow at 42 now i understand it <laughs> um, but we've been learning together and that's been a real pleasure and sometimes so that that's a more traditional approach to homeschooling there's very different philosophies um and we joined up on the facebook groups and you know um, that that kind of thing, and we went off to a couple of um, get you know events where they um, you know the powerhouse museum where they arrange for kids who homeschool to come together and do activities and things like that. So we've we've participated in a few of those things, um, but I also let people do some self directed learning. So I might say to her in the morning, you know potentially because I'm really lazy and haven't come up with anything. Um, <laughs> what would you like to learn about today? And, you know, she might be off the cuff. Oh, I want to learn about poo. <laughs> um, so I'm like, that could okay, be a very good lesson. Yeah, though. well, it is and it does. And so then I go, okay, cool. So that means we're going to learn about the digestive system. So, you know, and I'm, I'm a yoga teacher, so I have a lot of those sort of physiology and anatomy books at home. But we, you know, sit down and then we will just we'll learn together. So, and I have, you know, I have a lot of resources and materials in the home, which has been great. So, I think in some ways it's actually made me a much more engaged parent with my child's learning and because I, I was one of those parents that was like, oh, my God, homework, you know, and it would just be like kind of just, I don't care, just do it and just be kind of like trying, you know, multitasking and looking at it. But um, understanding what my child is actually learning and engage, engaging with it has totally enriched my experience of what it is for her to learn. I feel very fortunate that Pebble is a neurodiverse learner because I'm much more connected into her pathway. When you're working full time and you're kind of rushing and you're dropping off kids and you, you're just trying to get from A to B and get the lunch done and, oh, you know, is the uniform washed, all these things. The last thing you're really thinking about is what is going in. What is going in and what are they actually learning and how is that forming the person that they're going to become in the world? And so I very much want my daughter to go back to school, but it's about finding the right school that was going to have the resources and the capacity to be able to address the fact that she learns differently. So that's challenge number one. And, you know, potentially that might not happen until high school. I'm not convinced that there's any public schools that I know about that are going to be able to meet that need. We're looking into the NDIS. Pebble is eligible for the National Disability Insurance Scheme because of her learning disabilities, but that takes time. I know a lot of people have been waiting a year and they still haven't even had word back from the the planners. So it's slow. So what do you do? Do you just sit back and do you just hope that things work out? Well, you know, um, this is where myself and, and Pebble's father were really at odds because he really thought that she will just kind of kick in or click in and um, that just wasn't a risk that I was prepared to take. So I just was like, I just think I need to be more proactive about this. And, you know, and it was scary and quitting my job. And, but, you know, things just work out. You know, we tend to overthink things and then that kind of, we want to downplay risk. But, you know, I mean, I, I ended up picking up a really great part-time job and it's very close to where I am and it's flexible. And Pebble's dad has come on board and he's really involved and engaged. So, you know, you just kind of 
you make things happen and, and how's Pebble the right going? choice. She's good. I mean, you know, she it's it's difficult for us because we live off opposite the school. <laughs> so she still hears the bells and she hears all the kids in the playground and you know, and there's there is a a sense of wanting to go back, but at the same time there's been breakthroughs and moments when she's been like, Wow, I'm doing something that I you know, we, we looked at Pi and because circumference of circle, like that's not actually in the year four curriculum. I don't think you actually really get to that till year six. It didn't really make sense to me because it's like, well we're looking at perimeter. Why are we excluding circles? This just doesn't make any sense to me. So we kind of just jumped forward and um we we started looking at area and circumference and things like this. But she got really excited. She was like, Oh my gosh, you know, I'm gonna be so much smarter than this this other kid in the class who is actually a math genius and she was like when I go back I'm going to be like this guy and I was like and that was you know really affirming that's what you wanted yeah and so you know and I I don't think I've heard her say in the last like certainly not in the last term in this term the words dumb um you know that I can't do this it's more I can do this and you know I can do this with a real assertion and that's that's a good thing and I think she feels quite positive and proud about it we talk about the fact that she's going back to school and we talk about the fact we're very open people know she's dyslexic she knows she has dyscalculia um I'm an advocate in that way um I think Pebble needs to feel empowered about that she needs to understand what it is and she needs to be able to talk openly not only for herself but to be able to educate others um and be able to say I'm dyslexic it takes me probably five times as long as it's going to take you to do that. So we just need to slow down. And, you know, I'm not going to be able to do that because I'm dyscalculic and it's very difficult for me to do this. So we need to either find another way for me to engage in this activity. So, you know, it's about really giving her a voice. And I think she she understands. I mean, she's nine, you know, it's, only, it's complex, but I do think she feels positive within herself. We were sitting down in a cafe and... um it was not that long ago and all the kids were kind of rushing to school and being dragged and kids were crying and she was kind of kicking back and having a hot chocolate. <laughs> I'm okay and, with this, and, you know, she's like, I said, how does it feel, Pebble, to you know not have to be rushing to school? And she was like, it feels great. <laughs> I love it. Well, Tammy, it's an incredible story and you're doing such an amazing job as a mum. I know you think that that's just what you do, but I am sure there are plenty of children who missed out on having such a great advocate for them. And it's incredible. Thank you so much for oh, talking to you. us about it. That's my pleasure. And, you know, certainly I'm no expert, so it's just purely my own experience of this and we're learning as we go. So, Well, yeah. one thing I have found is that mothers tend to become university qualified experts without going to university if their child has um, a learning disability or or, or if they're neurodiverse. They just work it out. They get on top of it. So thank you for talking to us about it and um, congratulations on making such a difference already. Thank you. That's Tammy Brennan. She's a disability advocate and mother of a daughter with dyslexia and dyscalculia. To find out more, head to our website. That's kindling.com.au. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible, and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.